Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. I'm Alexandra Dutton, the program director of Old Firehouse School in Lafayette. And today I have with me a co-host, Pam Remensberger, who is a teacher here at Old Firehouse School. And I have a very special guest, Dr. Daniel Meyer, who was a professor of mine when I was getting my master's degree at San Francisco State. We had a podcast recently about language development. And as a school, we're going to be delving further into language development and literacy with a class for the teachers next few weeks. And Daniel was both my professor as well as an editor for two articles I have written for NAEYC, which is a national education organization. Dr. Meyer is a professor of elementary education at SF State, and he also teaches in the master's program and the credential program. And he also has written some books, and he has written a book that we are using for our teacher class called Developing First and Second Language Literacy, The Young Child's Memory for Words. It is a great book, and we are really looking forward to diving into it, as well as talking about it more today. All right, welcome so much, Pam and Daniel. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Alex. Glad to be here. All right, well, Daniel, let's start with you, since this is definitely your background. Well, I think that whatever I know about literacy development comes from my work as a teacher. So I've taught pretty much every grade level from preschool through doctoral program in some capacity. And I also am a parent. Our children now are 17 and 24. So that's the second area that's informed my views on early literacy. And then the third has to do with research that I've done and books that I've written and work that I've done with early childhood educators in the Bay Area. Yeah, you'll definitely have a lot of information for us. What are some ways that literacy development looks like in the earliest years? Well, I think for families, early literacy development looks like what it is that you can do in the home setting, in the community setting, and then your participation in school. There's no one way to do early literacy. There's no one way to conceptualize it as much as the proponents of the science of reading. And I've Listen to all the episodes of the podcast, Sold a Story. It's a recent podcast. I recommend it for everyone if you can grab an episode or, or two while you're out walking or, or driving or doing the dishes. So the science of reading has gotten a lot of attention in terms of that there's one single way or one single approach to teach reading. And primarily, that's a, an approach that focuses on phonics rather than comprehension. And... In terms of our our work as an understanding of early literacy as families, it's the way that you conceptualize early literacy for yourself, what worked well for you when you were younger, or maybe you weren't interested in early literacy or literacy at all until you were an older child. Every child develops in their own way. I think that's one of the major contributions of approaches from Reggio Emilia, from the Scandinavian countries certainly from Australia, the work with Tefariki, that children develop at their own pace and their own rate. And there's a limit to how much we can impose or use a particular early literacy framework to rush children's development. And unfortunately, in the United States, we're very much in ages and stages that we're expecting children to 
learn certain goals or certain standards or certain expectations by a certain age period. So for instance, three-year-olds or four-year-olds or five-year-olds, and then there's obviously this huge jump once they go to elementary school. I think in an overall way, we have to start as families, as parents or grandparents, whoever's involved early literacy with your child educators, with what worked well for us in terms of our own background and our own history, and what's developmentally appropriate for your particular child, and what's also culturally responsive for your child. And the third piece of that is what's child responsive. I think those are, are three dimensions that are, are really critical for us to think about when we conceptualize and try to enact early literacy practices and approaches, both in the home and the community setting and as well as in the school setting. That's so interesting because I don't think that's the answer most of us would have expected, that there's not read 20 minutes a day is kind of the thing that we hear. And while, of course, that is a useful thing, it's not the only way that children are developing literacy. And if that's what I'm hearing from you. I'd say over the last 20 years, there's been an approach about best practices. And there's been a certain amount of research that has detailed sort of a list or collection of best practices. But of course, best practices don't work for every child and every family. And every child and every family has to develop those desired practices. That's probably a better phrase than best practices. If 20 minutes a night, that's usually the sort of the golden rule in research and early literacy curriculum for and advice for parents that every night you should be reading with your child for 20 minutes or half an hour or, or an hour, some amount of time. And then there's the tried and true other maxim of you need to have dinner table conversation and you need to talk to your child about what went on during the day and you need to focus on academic language, you need to focus on vocabulary, you need to focus on, on problem solving, higher order thinking skills. And all of those are important for children's intellectual development, their social development, their language development, their literacy development, their cultural development. But it's up to each family, more or less, with the inclusion of children, seeing children as agentic, energetic, dedicated, motivated, human beings to have, have a say in what their early literacy can look like at home. So I think whatever works for your family, certainly our daughter, when she was little, she loved books. She was, just couldn't get enough from books. We'd have to actually take the books away from her at night because she was staying up too late to read books. Our son, not to compare children, I know it's easy to do. Our son, who's six and a half years younger, was not so interested in books, but he was interested in language. He loved stories. He loved oral stories. He loved even sitting down at the computer and watching animal videos when he was three and four. And he had a little notebook and he would say, I'm doing my research now. So he would draw pictures he couldn't write then. He would draw pictures of what he saw in the videos. Our daughter didn't do that. Our daughter was very much into reading and books in a conventional, traditional sense of, of learning how to read. Uh I just want to say that I'm really connecting with a lot of what you're saying right now. One of the reasons why I wanted to teach early childhood was to set such a positive tone for their reading development. In my experience, I've seen how children really do want to understand the world around them. And reading is definitely a part of that. I believe when literacy is presented in a way that's gentle, appropriate to their individual development, 
playful as well, then they can really be successful and excited about it. And sometimes that means I try something or, you know, we try something and then we pull back and wait until they're ready for it. Constantly taking cues from the child. I agree. It's great. Of course, books are important. Reading with children is important, but every child's going to approach literacy in a lot of different ways. And literacy can even involve reading books, but also singing songs with children. And it can involve them, like you said, your son doing research and wanting to write in notebooks. We have some children who really love that idea of clipboards and copying what the teachers are writing. And and that can be for them, their way that they understand or want to engage in literacy. So that's really interesting. I think that there's many, many entry points into literacy development for children. Kind of playing off what you were just saying, I think modeling for them is a huge part of it as well. Them seeing me reading, seeing me using literacy in ways that are helpful to me can be another really great way to instill excitement around the topic. Well, Daniel, so literacy can look different for every child and every family. And I I like what you said, too, because it takes the pressure off. I think a lot of families might feel some sort of guilt if they're not all having dinner together or not all having 20 minutes of reading. But knowing that throughout the day, there's many different ways to engage in literacy experiences. So how does that lead to reading? What's the typical way that reading may start when a child's actually reading on their own? Well, I'd go back to my, our two children, Toby, we decided that even though he was a younger birthday, we wanted him to spend an extra year in preschool. So we actually did his kindergarten in preschool because it was a super emerging curriculum. He was a very, very active child. There was no napping for him during preschool. He would actually play soccer with one of the teachers outside and they do some good trash talking about soccer when they were <laughs> playing, when the other kids were napping. So he didn't do kindergarten. So then he went to first grade and my wife was a kindergarten teacher. We didn't exactly agree, but I I won the debate on that. So he went to first grade, (laughs) not knowing all his letters and not knowing all his numbers. But he loved books. He loved stories. He loved jokes. He loved art. He had a fine motor skills. He had gross motor skills. He did have an older sister who was a strong reader. So he had all the foundations but not the surface level, simple skills, representational skills, uh, memorization around letter names and letter sounds. So he mm-hmm. picked it up probably in three to four months. He did see the reading oh. teacher whom he didn't really enjoy going to. But by December, January, he was in fine, fine shape in order to, to pick up the early reading skills. So the early reading skills for him were recognizing letters and letter sounds. And also with numbers, since numeracy and literacy really go hand in hand. For some reason in this country, we have tended to forget that, that they're both basically linguistic, cognitive, representational, symbolic systems. We do we do separate them more than I think we should. And we also mm-hmm. separate uh, reading and writing more than we should. They're complementary systems. They really go hand in hand in addition. I'll stick with Toby for a little bit longer. He loved books in terms of his art interest. That was his way into literacy. In general, children are not interested in literacy for the sake of literacy. They're interested in fun things, things that make them laugh, like the Fly Guy books, Flat Stanley. They're interested in beautiful things, so beautiful illustrations. They're interested in hanging out with their friends 
and talking and socializing, interested in the close physical comfort that can come between a, a parent, adult, and a child when they're reading a book together or hanging out with an older, an older sibling. So we often think at the surface level, children are interested in reading, writing, literacy, words, vocabulary, for the sake of all that, but they're not. They're interested in all the things that make sense for them as children and as youth when they're older, uh, if they're sort of late bloomers in terms of early literacy. So for Toby, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, he was into books that had pictures and books that were that were funny and meant something to him in terms of who he was as an individual. Our older child, Kylie, was very much into acquiring the skills conventionally in terms of reading and was interested in reading achievement. But that didn't really happen to her until I had a sabbatical and we went to England. And first we enrolled her in a Montessori school, which didn't work out for us because we had to take too many buses. And then we enrolled her in a, another school where they actually taught phonics. So she had all the foundational, I won't say skills, she had all the foundational interests and knowledge in terms of language and literacy and sounds and, and music and illustrations, pictures, art. And then one of the teachers was teaching them actually some phonics. So some sound symbol correspondence that this letter has this sound. When you put these letters together, it has this sound. Though sometimes in another word, it can have this sound. <laughs> and they had this super elaborate clay model, like a city or a village. And somehow the teacher used this clay model to help teach phonics. I've never seen anything like it because all the structures and the animals all had different letters. So they use this instead of like a word wall or a, a visual with the alphabet. It was this sort of fantastic story like large clay structure. Kylie really enjoyed that. She got a real kick out of that. So she got the phonics. It clicked in for her. And then the first book that she learned to read on on her own was a book called I Remember It Because I Still Have It, The Kiss That Missed. It's probably a book that a second or third grader in general would learn how to read, where she was learning at about the age of, of five, five, five and a half, because she had this foundation. And she was just the type of kid who wanted to, to meet the challenge of reading a book on her own after she had memorized the book, and then the phonics instruction clicked in. So two very different children, two very different developmental paths. And then eventually, they're both at levels of literacy, which they feel are, now that they're much older, are an integral part of their lives and an integral part of who they are as individuals and part of their identities. Well, Pam, can you speak to what you see when reading starts or what it looks like for preschoolers or your kindergarten class? Yeah, it definitely aligns with what Daniel's saying here about beginning with some recognition looking and exploring the letters and noticing the straight lines and the curves, noticing letters around the world, around the classroom, and seeing that they can convey knowledge. And yeah, tying that to their personal interests is just key. I'm hearing all of the excitement that came along with it, which is so important for kids at this age to be excited about it, for it to come gently and slowly so as not to have them shutting down. I do see it's a delicate dance for each individual child. And yeah, there's just a lot of fun ways to incorporate it at home and in the classroom to meet the needs of each individual child. So yeah, we start with the recognition, then it moves on to the letter sounds, what sounds they make, 
And then that's when we typically move on to the DC words, which stands for consonant vowel consonant words or word families. So bat, cat, mat, and how to blend those sounds together. And there's so many fun little activities that I can do. I have the kids get down on the ground and they're going to shoot up like a rocket to blend the sound. So, so we'll do cat and we'll get down on the ground. We'll go cat, cat, and they all jump up at the same time. So there's just a lot of fun ways to uh, incorporate it for them that tie in different learning styles, kinesthetic, auditory, visual, all of those things are so important too for each individual child. And what I hear from both of you too, in terms of the phonics piece and the letter recognition piece, this is something else that I try to teach in my classes where we don't necessarily assume that because a child can recognize a letter that they understand that that letter, a certain sound, this is just part of the journey of literacy. And, you know, in the beginning, they're going to want to learn how to, and I'm going to jump ahead to writing, but they're going to want to learn to write words that are important to them or meaningful to them, whether it's, you know, certain names of dinosaurs or writing a love letter to a parent. But it it is something that when approached in a way that's going to be contextual and meaningful for them and, and meeting the child where they are rather than doing worksheets that are not going to necessarily connect to other learning. Those are the things that are going to work best for children when you're really helping them just continue to develop where they already have started. So Daniel, you're you're saying, and I completely agree with you that numbers are a language. Math is a language. Writing and reading are so connected. With writing, is there anything specific that you think parents should know about when writing starts or how to encourage writing? There was a lot of research in, or I should say some research in the 1970s that children learn how to read through learning how to write. So when they explore a sound symbol correspondence and putting words, letters together in order to make different sounds, and then putting those letters together to make words, and then putting the words together in a certain order in order to make phrases and sentences, that they're actually doing a lot of problem solving kind of hard cognitive intellectual work about brainstorming what letters will make this sound or what letter will make this sound, what letters will make these sounds, and how can I put words together in order to to say something different? Because when we talk, we order and we use a certain kind of language. When we dictate, that's another level. But when we write, it's an entirely different process because we're not so reliant on oral language And there are things that happen cognitively, neurologically, that are intellectually different in the process of writing. Writing is a cultural act. All families, all individuals approach writing in a different way. And we all have different cognitive talents, I should say, around writing, because cognitively, we're mixing and matching letters with letter sounds. We're also mixing and matching ideas with words in order to construct something completely different. And anything a child constructs is usually completely novel and new for them. And that sense of discovery, whether they're writing a note to stick on their door saying, stay away, keep out, or they're writing a note saying, I want more cookies, or I'm mad at you, whatever it is, it's the first time that they've done it. And it's something that elevates their their voice, their visibility, who they are as individuals. Because writing is something that can be transported and transferred. It can more or less stay the same. 
even though artificial intelligence is probably going to make some changes (laughs) with that, it can more or less stay the same over time and place in comparison with reading. Reading is more of a a time-centered, place-centered human activity where writing has the potential to cross time, cross place, cross people in order to make changes. And that's one of the powers, I think, in terms of drawing young children into making marks on the paper, whatever that may be, developmentally appropriate, culturally responsive, and child responsive. That's the driving force I see in terms of writing for children. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. It brings up for me the importance of the language that I and other educators and parents use when supporting children on this journey. And I've, after doing this for so many years, have developed some really great language to help build up their confidence. So I try to eliminate the words wrong or fail or incorrect, very careful about it. And so some of the words that I use instead, if it's correct, without attaching like an emotion to it, I say, there it is. Look at that. You got it. And if it's wrong, I'll say something gentle, like try again, you're getting there. How can I help? I love to help you and things that build them up. Uh, rather than shut down. And Mm -hmm. I I think it's a really important component. Mm -hmm. I feel like with writing too, the children eventually will figure out that it's supposed to look a certain way. It's supposed to go Mm -hmm. a certain direction. But in the beginning, it's going to be like what you said, Daniel, they're just going to be so proud of like, oh yeah, look, I did this thing. Cool. And I can show this to somebody else and they can read it. My son, Teddy, when he started writing, he wrote from Instead of left to right, he wrote right to left and he would start at the bottom and then it might just go in a spiral around the page. He was doing this around four and a half, five years old, where he would write his name. He would write my name. He would write mama, papa, Ellie, and then people that he loved. But it would go backwards. And maybe a year of doing this, my mom was like is this ever going to stop? I'm like, of course it's going to stop. Like, (laughs) yes, but I'm not going to make him feel bad. I'm like, Teddy, it's actually supposed to go this way. And actually you start at the top and then you go this way. It was not about him doing it correctly in this very beginning because you don't want to discourage their attempts at writing and you really want to just make them feel proud and want to keep doing it. Because like you said, Daniel, the writing and the reading is so connected. And once they start writing, the reading actually comes a lot faster because they're starting to associate the letters and the sounds and all of it. And yeah, now he's in second grade and he writes the left to right and he knows how it's supposed to work and he knows things. And actually yesterday, I was just telling Pam the story. We found an an old story he had written and it wasn't even that long ago. It was like maybe like seven months ago. And he looked at it and he thought, oh gosh, mama, look at all my mistakes so funny. And I said, it is pretty funny. And I said, look how much you've learned. And he's like, I'm going to correct them. I'm like, that's great. (laughs) And so he went back, corrected the misspellings, but there wasn't a sense of shame or like, oh my goodness, I was so dumb when I was little. It was seven months ago, but it was more like, I've learned a lot since then. That's so cool. And I was so glad that that was how he approached it and that he could see that there was this growth that happened. I was looking for some resources just this morning, and this is What Did I Write by Marie Clay. It's probably 50 years old. She has some nice material here about concepts and principles, so Uh several different ways that children are writing. I think this is helpful background. I can send you the reference. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Another oldie, Writing Begins at Home, also by Marie Clay. She has one, chapter six, is How Can a Parent Help? I'll just read a little bit. 
So what should I correct? And then she says, not much. Period. <laughs> Until children can see a distinction for themselves, you will find it very hard to change their ways. And when they can see it, they will probably change it before you can think of how to teach it. For some of the funny things that children do, there are some explanations. We could look at some of these. And then she goes on to explain. What should I correct? Not much. Yeah. So basically, children, again, are developing at their own pace and they're according to their own inner timetable. And that the, the neurological, the psychological, the emotional processes of figuring out early literacy and writing come when they come. We can support, we can guide, we can provide materials, we can provide ideas. We can lead them a little bit ahead if we feel like it's a comfortable situation for children, whether we're educators or whether we're, we're family members. But in the end, it's their own internal timetable, their own internal set of interests and talents. And it's continually evolving. It's continually changing. I was just this morning working with a group of first graders. It's a dual language class. I was helping with the English. So we read The Princess and the Pea, which is an impossibly long story. <laughs> They're Spanish-speaking, learning English, different levels of English. And then I had them do some writing on it and then with the whiteboards. And then one child, I was having them do his and her and some pronouns. And one wrote jealous. And I said, well, how did you know how to write the word jealous? She said, my older sister is teaching me how to write English. And it was spelled perfectly. Totally surprised me. I showed it to the teacher afterwards. She had no idea that the child's older sibling was teaching her how to write. So these kinds of surprises, they pop up for us because children are thinking, they're eager, they're active, they're trying to figure out the way language works and connected with books and all the different ways they come into contact with different kinds of, of writing. And of course, digital multimodal possibilities at a whole nother level as much as we can possibly filter out all the stuff that's not educationally, socially, culturally sound out there in online. If we can find those materials that will be helpful for writing, that can certainly, like when Toby was doing his research, watching the animal videos, it's a, a super powerful path when children find an interest and they want to learn more about it. So, Pam, I'd love for you to kind of wrap us up and share what are some things parents can do at home with their children? Yeah, definitely. It was cool to hear Daniel mention older siblings getting involved, empowering those older siblings, giving them the supportive language as well to guide and help their younger siblings is really sweet. There are great games, keeping it playful. Kids learn through play. We know this. So playing games at a store, maybe grab those flashcards that maybe aren't so effective at flipping the flashcards. That's not very fun. Pick one to bring to the store and go on a letter hunt for that letter at the store or on a menu at the restaurant or in a magazine or the newspaper. Doing an author exploration, I've learned, is a great way to get kids excited about books. An author can have many different books uh, is a really fun way. I've had a lot of parent friends really like this one, uh, having the child cut out their hand on paper, many different handprints, and taping those up maybe on the door to the garage or the door to leave the house. And, you know, on the way out, high five a word and, and yell it on the way out the door. 
to add on that, sometimes I like to throw in what's a just a silly word you want up there too. For a kid who loves fire trucks, put fire truck up there. It doesn't have to be all sight words or all letters or all letter sounds up there, you know, put something fun that's really personal for them too, that they could also high five. I think it's just keeping it personal for them. One that I thought of as you were talking to that the kids have really enjoyed in the classroom is making small mailboxes. Mm. Uh, that's a really fun way for them to start by drawing pictures for each other. And then they come up to me and they go, can you write bunny on this? You know, I really want it to say bunny and also show the picture of the bunny and the literacy kind of builds upon that. So uh, little mailboxes are really fun as well. You can really take direction from the children and just kind of follow their lead. Just keeping it fun. One of I just incorporated this game because we're at springtime and the kids are feeling a little bit more ready. I have a really fun game called Oh Bananas that has a cup full of big popsicle sticks. And on the bottom are letters, but also thrown in there are a couple of bananas. It's just a really fun game where the kids pick one out. And if they know it, keep it. They're trying to get five. And if they don't know it, say it a few times and then we put it back in. But if a banana gets pulled out, it's, oh, bananas, we have to put them all back in and start over. So just keeping it light and fun. And then that game can be altered just as the high fives can for wherever they are in their development. It could be the letter recognition. It could be pull out a stick and tell us the letter sound. It could be blends, SH makes, you know, it can be modified and it could be even modified if your child really loves planets. You pull out, oh, Pluto, and just keeping it really geared towards who they are. So those are just a couple of suggestions that I really enjoy. Those were great, Pam. Your high five game made me remember there was another tool because honestly, Daniel, your son, Toby, and my son, Teddy, sound very similar in, in terms of their journeys to, to reading. Another thing that was tricky sometimes about Teddy is getting him from point A to point B, like trying to get out the door and he stops along the way for whatever millions of things. But we had <laughs> one wall where I would put different words that he, both he had chosen and sight words and things that he was working on. So on the way out, I would say, okay, see if you can make a sentence while you're going to the door. And so he would high five, she likes silly dinosaurs. And then it would just be this thing that he would do on the way out the door or up the stairs, again, making it playful, making it fun and just supporting like you're going to get there. Because similarly, his older sister was an early reader and just was just one of those kids where reading clicked for her so easily. And you never want to compare. You never want to say, well, your sister was reading Harry Potter at age seven. That was never the road we were going to take ever. But but they also see it. He can see that his sister is reading these giant thick books and he's not there yet. So some children will notice these things and just continuing to know like, you're going to get there. We're going to keep working on it together. And I love the idea of, of noticing like, hey, the older sibling, you can help your brother write this note to your Lala, or you can help make this note to Santa together, but make sure that you're also listening to what your little brother is saying and not just writing it all by yourself. But it just seems like there's lots of different ways that we can involve and explore literacy, writing, and just be present and be aware of how it's going to look for our children and know that it's going to happen with time, with the right tools that are available to them too. All right. Well, thank you so much for all of your time. It was great to talk to you. Nice to see you again after many, many... Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Pam. So nice to meet you. Thank you for your oh, You're welcome.
Thank you so much to our guests, Daniel Meyer and Pam Remensberger. And we'll make sure to pop those books and links that he talked about in the show notes. Thank you for listening. We hope this was very helpful for you. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all the places. Take care, everyone.